this reflection on chastity, I'd like to just put in your minds three passages from Scripture. The first is, in fact, the uh, first reading for this afternoon's Mass. Then God said, let, this, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the cattle, and over all the wild animals and all the creatures that crawl on the ground. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them, saying, be fertile and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that move on the earth. God looked at everything he had made, and he found it very good. And the second is just a brief phrase from the Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord, this is Matthew 5, or rather, Matthew 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Finally, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 and following, shun immorality. Every other sin which a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae, a document which the world sees as just the church saying no to contraception, sort of a, a divine scolding from the church, if you will. But we have to understand it in the proper light, which is that it is a document actually saying yes to the truth of marital intimacy and to the truth of human sexuality in general. I make mention of this because in speaking about chastity, we, we do have to just remind ourselves of, of where we are in society and, and, and also how we've have gotten where we are and just the, the rampant unchastity in our culture, which is commonly accepted, the enormously high uh, rate of uh, out-of-wedlock births, abortions, use of contraception, uh, the scourge of pornography, all of these things kind of swirling around. And, and these lend a great deal to, to great uh, social injustice because the people who suffer, these, suffer from these most are the poor, <laughs> the ones who don't have the money to cover up, to cover over the wounds. And so we see when we talk about chastity in marriage, which is such a sacred topic, speaking first of all about the intimate life of the couple but then more broadly uh, about all of society and it all begins with the recognition of what the Lord says in that first reading 
It is very good. I think you're all familiar enough with the first, pa- first chapter of Genesis. You know that it, it's a progression. It's, in fact, the way to think of it, it, it's a liturgical procession. And you know, at the end of the liturgical procession, you always have the most important person. Uh, I would say it's always the priest, but the bishop's here. So it's, you know, the bishop is, <laughs> he comes last. The most important person always comes last. And, and so this liturgical procession of creation, you have all of the different things being created, and the last is you. It's marriage. And after each one, the Lord said, it is good. But after marriage, after the creation of man and woman, it is very good. The body is good. Your body is good. It doesn't always feel that way. But your body is good. It's the means by which you express your affection for your spouse. The means by which our Lord comes to you. The difference between man and woman is good. Doesn't always feel that way, but it is good. And in our culture, these are some of the most, count- some of the most countercultural things we can say, aren't they? That the body is good. It's not just a plaything to be used. It's not something just to be discarded when we're tired of it. And the difference between man and woman, that complementarity, is a gift. A friend of mine uh, years ago encountered two different couples at the beach. One was sort of the perfect couple, physically speaking, if you will. Uh, They were sort of, you know, in their 20s, perfectly fit. Right? Each one was everything that you know, he should be or she should be. And, uh, but, but this man noticed that there was really no interaction between the two of them. Like the only thing they had in common was probably they were dating each other. And, but they, they were so sort of in love with their bodies and having the perfect body and dating somebody who had a perfect body. And he was sort of intrigued by the, the perfection of the body and the lack of any sort of contact or intimacy. They didn't display really any sort of affection, even hold hands or anything like that. And then a couple days later, he saw another couple, kind of the opposite. Older, less perfect, shall we say, more of a body. But what struck him was the beauty between these two persons. This husband and wife whose bodies were not to be envied. (laughs) They weren't showpieces anymore. But there there was affection between them. And there, there was a beauty in that. And it's everything that the world doesn't expect. We find the body good only if it's beautiful and perfect. But well, actually, in terms of our faith, we, yes, we should take care of our bodies, but our body is important because it's given to us by God, because God comes to us by way of his body coming to ours. 
and because the body is the means by which we show affection, the means by which we serve in charity, and the means by which your vows were consummated, and the means by which your vows are renewed. And so chastity is not a looking askance or scowling at human sexuality or the human body. That's the way, of course, the world wants to depict the church's teaching. Chastity is actually uh, the fulfillment of human sexuality. It, It is the proper living out of it. And of course, it looks different for different states of life. For a celibate priest, it looks different than for a married man. For a single man preparing for marriage, it looks different, and so on. But all are called to this. All are called to that that authentic living out of human sexuality, observing the purpose and the meaning of human sexuality. And this is an amazing thing that the church says to the world and that you as married couples witness to before the world that there's a meaning to this. There's a purpose for it. It's not just something that that is pleasurable and engaged in and then once it becomes no longer possible or one gets bored with it, then it's set aside. But there's a meaning. It is, of course, for for, for children, and many of you know that very well. Uh, And it is for that that deepening of the bond of love. And sometimes children come about, wonderful. There's no no harm if they don't, provided the couple is not obstructing them. And sometimes there's a blissful deepening of the marital bond, other times not. And there's no sin involved there, provided that no spouse is using the other. It is one of the saddest things that, that unchastity can be introduced in, into marriage where, where sexuality should find its fullest and purest expression. And even you know, in the ancient church, in the letter to the Hebrews, the author tells us to, you know, warns to uh, keep undefiled the marriage bed. So nothing new under the sun. It was a struggle in the ancient world and in the ancient church. And of course, as we know, so much more so now. In appreciating the truth of chastity and its its meaning and the truth of marital love, allow me to point out the importance of appreciating celibacy. And I'm not just trying to sort of, this is not meant to be self-serving. But there was a point in which each one of you was celibate. And that was a necessary precondition, wasn't it, for entering into marriage. And there's been some call for you know, the elimination of celibacy in, in the church. But we find in the catechism these beautiful, beautiful words about how marriage and celibacy really depend on one another. That that when you live your vows well, uh, that's an inspiration for us priests to give more, 
Uh, and at the same time, celibacy should serve as a reminder to all married couples of the relative importance of marriage. Let me explain. That, that marriage is not designed, uh, or rather, your, your spouse and your intimate relations are not designed for ultimate happiness. That's not their purpose. Uh, we are striving for holiness, and your marriage and the relations in your marriage are designed to help you towards holiness. One of the difficulties that I think we priests encounter in, in engaged and in, in married couples is that they're trying to hang too much on marriage, finding absolute happiness in it. When really, no, this, your, your marriage is a means by which you give yourselves, and it is the self-giving that brings about happiness. This is very much in my mind. I, j I just heard recently of a couple who explained their divorce in these terms. It's not that we weren't happy. It's that we realized we could be happier. No word on whether or not they asked their children that same question. But the mistake is to make happiness the goal. Happiness is not the goal. Happiness is, is the effect. The goal is that self-giving. And so this is one question to ask in terms of chastity. Am I just interested in being happy, and which in our culture quickly becomes just pleasure? Is that my goal? Or do I desire to give myself? Because if my goal is self-giving, then chastity will make a whole lot more sense. But if my goal, if my desire is just to be happy, and just the pleasure, then chastity looks kind of funny. It looks out of place. There are certain, of course, things that you know well are violations of marital chastity, of course, contraception, uh, adultery, of course. Say some words about pornography. And in, in this regard, that, that, that passage from Matthew's Gospel, I think, is very important. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. It's a wonderful thing to keep in mind because the eyes can be drawn away from what is good and true and beautiful. And what our Lord indicates there is when our eyes are sort of polluted in that way, it has a deeper effect on us. And it leads to a deeper kind of, well, infidelity. Some of you have heard me mention the response I once received when I asked an engaged couple to define fidelity. I ask this of every engaged couple I've ever prepared, and no couple has ever said, it means you don't sleep with other people. Nobody's ever said that, because it's so obvious. Every couple intuits that fidelity needs something deeper. And that's what chastity is. And so this one couple, when I asked them to define fidelity, they said, or he said, and I think it was to charm her, he said, Father, it means you only have eyes for each other. 
which is a wonderful way of thinking about it and a wonderful way of thinking about chastity. Do you only have eyes for one another? Or have you allowed your eyes to be taken by images, by writings? Men like to look. <laughs> Women kind of like to read. These are the kind of the, 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 the if you will, the complementary vices that, that men and women fall into. A woman once said to me that Facebook is female pornography. Shocked me. But her point being that it, what, what was drawing the woman was not the images, but the relationships. And so what, what is capturing your eye? It should be your spouse, increasingly. And so pray for that purification of sight especially here in adoration, coming before him and opening our eyes before him and asking him, kind of like by radiation therapy, right, to, to purify my sight, help me to see truly. In the, in the old ritual of, uh, of anointing, what used to be called extreme unction, which is, just sounds harsh, right? But uh, the, the, the priest would, would anoint the senses of the person in order to, to communicate the grace of healing for sins committed by those senses. So the ears, the mouth, the hands, the feet, the nose, to, to bring healing for, you know, to, to the feet. You know, where did your feet bring you where you shouldn't have been? What did you touch that you should not have? What did you listen to or say? And it's a, I think that's a helpful way of thinking about the healing that needs to occur in order for us to be chased. We need to be healed of those things that we listened to that we shouldn't have. Those things that we said that we shouldn't have. St. Jose Maria, one of his very blunt points in the way, says, look, that stuff sticks more than tar. It's a very good image. You find yourself caught or participating in conversations that are impure. That stuff sticks more than tar. We need to get away from it. And so difficult in our culture, isn't it? And make sure that we don't participate by repeating by speaking those things that can have an ill effect on someone else. But chastity is not just about avoiding things, is it? I like to say to, especially to high school boys, that chastity is the capacity to say yes, because it gets the high school boys' attention. But it's actually absolutely right. Chastity is the the peaceful control of our desires so that a man and a woman are capable of saying yes to the right person in the right way and at the right time. And that yes requires a lot of no's along the way. But those no's help to build up the capacity for a full-hearted yes to be able to say to the other, I'm giving myself whole and entire, pure. 
As many of you know, one of the grave difficulties in, in marriage prep right now is uh, the phenomenon of cohabitation, which when I was first ordained 22 years ago, uh, engaged couples still tried to hide it if they were living together. But now it's presumed and nobody's embarrassed or ashamed about it. But what's interesting is, and a priest friend of mine stumbled upon this, if you ask a bride where she will spend the night before the marriage, before the wedding, she will say, always say, well, not with her fiancé. Why not? Because there is still some lingering sense that, well, when I give myself after marriage, it should be whole and entire. There should be something different about that. And when we think of chastity within marriage, it's just taking that, that, that truth from the beginning and stretching it out throughout the entirety of the married life. It's not just about the no's, it's about the yes. And so when we speak of chastity, we should think purity, giving oneself whole and entire. So it's not just a matter of, of avoiding external things, but avoiding anything that will introduce a division into one's heart. The Catechism describes, at one point, describes purity, uh, impurity or unchastity as duplicity. And in a sense it is, because there's a division within us. Because we said yes and no at the same time. Chastity, like poverty, requires that submission of the physical to the spiritual. And there's a certain poverty too, isn't there? In when we thought about poverty, I mean, it's really the truth that what we possess is not ultimately our own. It's his. Uh, and he just asks for 10% 10, 10 of it back. That's it. Uh, and then when we think of chastity, we realize, as St. Paul tells us, that our bodies are not our own. We've been bought at a price. He dwells in us now. We are his temple. And so we need to detach from that sense of this is mine to do with as I will. And so this day, give some thought and prayer and examine to what might be standing in the way of that deeper yes. What is cutting into the purity of that gift of one to the other? Uh, where have your eyes or your ears taken you that you shouldn't have gone? And what needs to be put in place so that you can give yourselves more fully to the other? You have a great mission in evangelization because the world does not think that chastity is possible. And they don't think that, that the chaste love of, of husband and wife, that, that fruitful love that is faithful to the end, the world doesn't think is possible. And you've entered into marriage, in effect, to witness to it, to say, yes, it is possible. This chastity, this fidelity to the end, this fruitful love is possible. The world desires to see it, and at the same time says it's not possible. But when they encounter a couple who is living it, people are drawn there. You know, the, that, that movie, Titanic, which uh, I did see, I've confessed it already. Um, at the, 
the, the director was once interviewed, and he was, he was asked why he did not depict the men uh, going down with the ship, because it was a very well-documented fact that, that the men observed the moral code of the time, and they gave the boats to the women and children first, and they went down with the ship. There was one notable exception, and he dressed up as a woman to get onto the boat, right? And the director said, yeah, I knew the story, but no one would have believed it. So there, there's this sort of cynicism that virtue is impossible. Think of what you've done by marrying. You're the greatest optimists and should be full of hope because grace will not be lacking. And you've stepped forward to say to the world, it is possible. Yes, we can be chaste, faithful, open to life, to the end. And in this context, I want to point to the marriage of Joseph and Mary, which might seem to be completely out of, out of place, huh? Because they did not have marital relations. Because Mary is an ever-virgin. So what do they have to say to us? Has that always ever kind of made you wonder on the Feast of the Holy Family that, you know, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus are the model for all families, but they're kind of a unique family, right? Joseph and Mary are model for all couples, even though they are unique in this sense. But what their unique status reveals is the life-giving character of chastity. And not just life-giving, but grace-receiving. Because within the context of their chaste love, the word becomes flesh. New life comes and grace enters the world. In your striving for chastity, and it is always a striving, this side of heaven, it is never perfect, but in your striving for chastity, there will be grace. You need to trust that, that within the context of your striving for that chaste, pure love for one another, God's grace will not be lacking to you. And a grace not only for you in order to live that chastity, but a grace that flows over from your marriage to your children and to society. You've done a great thing, a noble and sacrificial thing by entering into this and giving this witness to the world. His grace will not be lacking. So ask Joseph and Mary in their chaste love uh, to pray for us that we may give witness as well to, to chastity, uh, to the grace that it obtains from the Lord, and to the witness that it gives to the world, that our Lord never denies his grace to those who generously follow his way. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving, be every moment thine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment.